Hi there, and thank you for tuning in to the following message provided by Renewed Church. We pray that this message will be a blessing and encouragement for you. For more information about our church, please visit www.renew.miami. Hey, Renew family, it's Pastor Trevor, and uh, I am not with you today, but you are in good hands. I just want you to know I'm super excited about the five speakers that are going to bring uh, a message in our relationship series called Hearing Voices, and you're going to hear from them on this topic as we conclude our before and after series. A couple of the things that I want you to let, let you know, we are four weeks from Easter, and uh, so what we do uh, four weeks out, every time we're getting ready for Christmas or Easter, is we do what we call five for five. And we pray for uh, the five people in our lives that we want, that don't have a church family, church home, uh, to invite to uh, our Easter services. So I'm asking you to take this card that you have, fill that out, and uh, drop it in a bucket, drop it in a box, so that we can agree with you in prayer for these people that you're going to invite between now and Easter. So it's called Five for Five because they're your five people, those five people in your life, maybe a friend, a family member, whoever it is, that you're going to pray for and you're going to invite to Easter. And we're praying with you for these next five days for those people. The other thing that I want to just kind of emphasize, I'm not here because I'm at our Homestead campus and something that we're kicking off starting on Easter is just a kind of a refresh of the Homestead campus. And if you are one of those that maybe live in the Homestead area or you have a heart to see us expand from one location to multiple locations and you'd be willing to be on that team, we're looking for 10 families that would go and serve for five months and, and say, you know what, whatever it takes, I want to be a part of making Renew Church one church in multiple locations. We need you. We're excited about it. We're going to have some uh, brand new worship and, and uh, a, a new way of doing our, our messages where we're going to do a video venue. And uh, it's going to be powerful. And uh, we can't do it without you. So pray about that over the next uh, few weeks. And if that's something you want to do, come and talk to me. Talk to one of us and uh, let us know. And um, be praying for Renew Church in the days ahead. God bless you. We'll see you soon. All right. Good morning, Renew Church. Can you can you guys hear my voice? There we go. So yes, I am the first of the five voices that you will be hearing today. So um, my name is Carlos. I should start with that, obviously. So um, Pastor Trevor asked me to be a part of this panel to speak on relationships, and he asked me this a couple weeks ago. And when he when he asked me this, my wife actually was traveling on business. That's my lovely wife sitting over there. Yes. And um, she was on business. She was traveling in Europe. So she had stops in Lithuania. She stopped in Helsinki, Finland. And her final day included a full day where she was able to go around Rome. <clears throat> so just to give you guys an idea, at the end of this week, I'm actually going to be traveling on business. And I'm going to be going to the beautiful and exotic city of Tampa, Florida. Yeah. So I told her maybe one day her company will allow her to experience the beautiful culture that Tampa provides. But until then, I'll just, she'll just have to hear stories from me. Uh, but seriously, when I was sitting and I was thinking about our relationship, the first thing that came to my mind was growth. And both of us have grown so much over the past 20 plus years. And that, that's expected. You know, we all grow day by day. I mean, I think about it, if I was the same 21-year-old dumb kid trying to be a great husband or a father to two young ladies, that probably wouldn't turn out too well. Uh, but thank God I have grown as an individual, but together we have grown as a couple and as a team. Uh, we persevered through some bad times and we've celebrated even more good times. And I'm proud to see how far we have come together as a unit. But I can testify that over the past three years, since we've been a part of this church and since we've accepted Christ into our lives together and since we've accepted Christ into our marriage, we have experienced even greater growth. We have been able to connect on a deeper and more intimate level than ever before. Um, so that's, that's what I really want to speak about now. So, but it's funny how God works because last Sunday when I was speaking to Rebecca about this, this whole um, panel, I had given her a verse 
But I was reading my devotionals this week, and one, one day this week, God actually put another verse into my life, and that's the verse that I want to speak about. Um, and it's from Romans 15, 5 through 6. And the verse says, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as Christians, God is glorified through our marriages. And to glorify God through your marriage means that from our marriage, people can get an impression of who God is. When they see that love and they, and, and they see who you are together, they can see how, how God feels about us. That's the purpose for a Christian marriage. It's so that God is seen through you. And not only is God seen through you, but people see how beautiful God is, how good God is, and how glorious God is. That's, of course, that, that's, that's how we view Christian marriage. Now, the world views marriage as a sense of per personal fulfillment, right? I've been married. I got a ring that shows that. But we know that God intended for marriage to be an other-centered other -centered union in a self-centered world. So that we're, 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 when we're with our significant other, when we're with our spouse, we put their needs above our needs and above our own desires. Now, many of you know me and you know that I unfortunately don't have a lot of free time. Uh, between work, between ministry, between school, and between my other, you know, responsibilities that I have, I'm basically on the go all the time. But I've made a promise to myself when I do have this free time, and especially when I'm spending time with my wife, I want to be as intentional as I can with that time. So that when we're together, she knows that that time matters. When we're together, she knows that she is important. She's valued. And she is loved. And that's where the growth really starts to happen. So that's one way, but how else can you grow in your marriage? Well, when we grow, when we realize that marriage is not a competition, that's the toughest lesson that I had to learn in a marriage. Uh, when you feel like you always need to get your way, or even worse, when you feel like you need to win the argument, that was always my thing. Um, and that doesn't always end up very well. Am I right, uh, gentlemen? Yeah. You try to win, but you actually end up losing. See, that sense of competition actually does so much more damage than almost anything else in a marriage. And it did damage in our marriage because, as we talked about actually in our, in, uh, in our marriage group this week, you try to find that lowest common denominator when you're cutting each other down. But when you find that like-minded sense that we just spoke about before, you find that happiness and you start to grow together. Lastly, another way that you can grow together is to pray together. This is something that we just recently learned in our marriage small group. And shout out to all the marriage small group members in the house. That, that has made a difference in our lives. Because you align yourself in, in prayer spiritually. And when you realize that you are both speaking to God with, like we said, the same mind and with the same mouth, you... You're pleading that same cause to God. You come together as one to speak to the Father. And I can't think of something more beautiful than that. That will bring you guys closer together, and it will bring you closer to God. So I just want to encourage everyone that we all know marriages are relationships, as a matter of fact, they're not perfect, and they're hard. But if God is at the center of that relationship and you continue to grow, you guys are going to find happiness in the end. So thank you very much. And help me welcome Jose to the stage. Thank you, my brother. Well, my name's Jose, and I'm glad to be here with you guys. The series that I'm going to talk about on the before and after is the topic of relationships. But my specific topic is going, going to address the parent-child relationship and the role of a parent. By the raise of hands, who's a parent here? Child? Okay, most of you guys, good. Have any of you guys experienced this when you know your child maybe is in sports or something, right? Then he scores a touchdown or knocks the ball out of, makes a home run, or maybe your daughter spikes the volleyball, does a good job. You go, hey, that's my son or daughter. You know, you start bragging. 
but all of a sudden when they mess up, you disown them and go, oh, yeah, that's your son or daughter, right? Isn't that funny how we do that? We disown our kids? Well, the topic that I'm going to, the Bible verse I'm going to hit is train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22.6. Basically, the book of Proverbs is also called the wisdom book. Proverbs are principles and observations that are mostly true. But there are exceptions to the rule because they're not the promises of God. So let's define what train means, right? Because we're training up a child. The definition is to teach a person a particular skill or type of behavior through practice. So I'm going to give you four practical ways on how to train up a child. Number one, point number one, as a parent, we need to follow Christ. The greatest testimony is the one that you live out in your own life. You lead by example. What did Jesus do? He washed the disciples' feet because he was a servant leader. He led by example. With that, I'm going to share a little testimony. It was like a couple months back. We had a little family get-together at my house. And basically, the next day, there was like a pile, like a, like a, like a mountain of dishes. So honestly, I didn't want to wash the dishes, so I told my kids. I have twin daughters and a son. So I go, guys, hey, would you mind washing the dishes? And then they're like, nope, I'm not going to do it. And then I told my daughters, and he was like, nope. Well, basically, to make the long story short, nobody wanted to do it. So all of a sudden, I felt God putting this impression in my heart. And he goes, Jose, you do it. I'm like, okay. Kind of tired, but I don't want to do it. But again, hearing his small voice, I, I followed. Again, honoring God. And all of a sudden, this miracle started happening that they wanted to start washing the dishes. When they saw me doing it. And it was so powerful because I started washing. And I, honestly, it took two, at least two hours. But I saw that my daughters get their eyes watery because I saw what God did, that God convicted them through that. And then the beautiful thing is that they didn't see me. They saw Jesus through me. And it touched their hearts. And it was a powerful testimony. And as a result, after, again, a week or two weeks later, they were washing, doing chores without me even having to say anything, which is beautiful. So point number one, we need to follow Christ, right? Lead by example. And point number two, we need to be present in our kids' lives. As a parent, you need to make your kids a priority, right? First, there's an order of God, right? God first, right? Your spouse and then your kids. And if you're not married and you have kids, it's God first and then your kids. Remember, your family is your first ministry. I read in a book, don't show me how much you know until you show me how much you care. Be involved in the interests of your kids, like football, basketball, baseball, cheerleading, even video games. In a shopping, if that's their thing, do it. That's a good way to build a rapport with your kids. It's a way to bridge the gap between you and them. And if you don't know, ask questions. Ask questions and see what they like. Even to this day, the greatest gift my mom and dad could give me is spending time with me. I'm 46 years old. Point number three, teach them about God. Maybe you say, hey, I'm not good at, I don't know Bible stories. Well, guess what? If you're a Christian, you have a personal testimony. Share that testimony, what God has done in your own life, right? We defeat the devil with the power of the testimony and the blood of Christ. Number two, you pray with your kids, right? Do that. Pray with the kids. Take the time either before before or after or even midday, spend that time with your kids. Show them what, what a man of God or a woman of God looks like. And then pray for your kids on your alone time, right? And, and, and pray for specific areas that they need to change in their lives. Read the Bible to your kids. And when your kids are old enough, read the Bible together with them. Encourage your kids maybe to join the youth ministry here at Renew. Ultimately, it's our responsibility as a parent to teach them about God. And point number four, discipline your kids. Remember, one size doesn't fit all. I told you I have twins. So the way I deal with my daughter, an example, Valentina, her thing is words of affirmation. I have to be gentle with her. But my other daughter, Isabella, she's very strong-willed, so I have to give her that tough love. So 
see what their personality is, and discipline them accordingly, right? And point, another point to discipline, always correct them in love, never in anger or rage. You correct in private, and you praise your kids in public, right? What does discipline do? It helps correct destructive behavior. It helps children continue to follow the right path, and it helps develop wisdom and maturity. What does God say? God disciplines those who he loves in Hebrews 12, uh, 12, 6. What are examples, you ask me, of uh, discipline? Well, you can do loss of privilege, chores, lectures, time, time out, a repayment for damages if they break something, making them accountable, and setting boundaries and limitations. And then you ask me, Jose, hey, let's suppose I... I, my children are older, and they didn't grow up in a uh, Christian home, and they've gone astray. Well, as a parent, you take responsibility for your actions. Again, you lead by example, and you make an amends to them for your actions of not being there for them. And then you pray for reconciliation of the relationship, and you pray that God will go after the one sheep, your son or daughter. And then you love them. The Bible verse is, that goes with this, above, above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins, 1 Peter 4.8. And then you never give up on them because God never gave up on you. So that's it. Thank you. Thank you, Jose. Hello again, everyone. I am still Rebecca, and um, I'm going to do my best to talk to you guys today about singleness in just five minutes. And so um, I, many of you know, but others may not, uh, we had our fourth annual Finding Mr. Right conference last month. And many people always ask me why the name for that conference and what it is, what is it about? And what is it like a dating thing? What is this Finding Mr. Right conference name all about? And um, really, it's a conference for women that we've had now, as I said, for four years. And it's not just for single women, and it's not a dating thingy. Um, it's for all women, married women, happily married women, uh, miserably married, uh, single, divorced, widowed, hurt, confused, angry. You see, the truth is that it can also be a conference for men. You see... We are all looking to be loved, and in my opinion, a lot of times in the wrong places. What do I mean by this? Let's say that you are happily married, and many people are. We could say that you have found true love. However, there's a type of love. It's known as agape love. And agape love is a Greek word. It's a love of choice. It's not of attraction or even obligation. Agape love is what Jesus Christ displayed on the cross for us as he took our place for our own sins. Singleness can be a very scary place. I know many people, I counsel and do different things for work and for ministry, and a lot of people say, just there's no way that I can be single. And I advise and I give good counsel and they just go from one relationship to another to another. And even though we're all different and some people really don't like to be alone, it's, it's a choice thing, right? I myself have found such amazing peace and love like no other in my singleness. You see, I've had a few life experiences I was married for 10 years and have two beautiful children, boys, 24 and 26, from that marriage. So I've done that. I know what marriage life is like. I have had failed relationships. I know what that rejection and that failure feeling looks like. But you see, the last six to seven years, I've been single in Christ. And I can say a lot about that. The years have been amazing. The truth is, no one can love us like God does. You may be single today for many different reasons. Some of you may just be young and never been married before. Others 
may be single due to failed marriages or relationships. Others may even be widowed. But there's a secret. Whatever your relationship status, and the secret is that we all have a need for God's agape love. We were all created to his image. And there's a part of mankind that only God can fill. You can try all things, all relationships, all different people. But I can tell you that until God, through you having faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I always like to say that, Lord and Savior. And Mikey's going to touch on that. He's not just your Savior. Savior, you got to let him be Lord in your life. And then the Holy Spirit filling you personally with his love to where you don't need someone. And no one owes you anything. It's a beautiful place. Because you know the love of God for you. When you can truly say you are good in your singleness or even in your marriage. I could apply this to both. Our identity should always totally be in Christ and our relationship with him alone. Although many focus, although my focus, I should say, is on singleness today, as a lot of people struggle with being single, to our married couples out here today and those listening online, God's love is for everyone. And there is a place in our hearts and our body, mind, and souls that not even our spouses can fill. I want to share one scripture with you today. And it's the next prophecy to be fulfilled. And why I mentioned that I didn't even say this in the first service is because, you know, when we talk about Jesus coming again and the prophecy of him coming back, a lot of theologians want to get really theological about the monster and the horse with ten horns and what they mean and where they come from. And was it the ocean or the moon or the sky and what's happening with that? It's a theological thing. But I think we miss this point about the coming, returning of Jesus Christ's prophecy being fulfilled. And so, um, it does have to do with all of us, all who believe, being the bride of Christ. Whether you're single today or married or widowed, whatever your status is, whether you're a man or a woman, your human relationship status will not matter on your relationship with Christ on this day. And the verse is Revelation 19, 7 through 9, and this is what it says. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. That's to the church. And then he said to me, write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true sayings of God. So church, I won't address us now as our marital status, our relationship status. I can't get more theological in these verses, but we are the bride of Christ. And we are going to be part of the most amazing, blessed wedding ever. I don't care what wedding we've seen from Hollywood weddings, from mansion weddings, from the humanness of this cannot compare to the wedding of the lamb for the church, for the bride of Christ. We are going to be part of this. Maybe our relationships down here on earth have not been the best. Maybe it has not, maybe it has been for you, but I want to assure you that he is coming back for a bride. I encourage you to meditate on asking yourself, do I know the love of God in this agape way? What does this mean to you when you hear me today? Is he all that I need no matter what my marital status is? Am I dressing, and this is to the church, individually forgetting we're man and women and we're married. Am I dressing myself in white linen, clean and bright through my righteous acts? What does our Christian life look like? I didn't know this for 36 and a half years. So those that know me know that I don't pretend to stand up here and think I have all this together. But I do know that one day I said, God, if you're real, show me. 
And he did, and he continues to. So I encourage you today to just ask him, and he will show you too. Thank you, guys. And now, Pastor Rick. All right. Are we, are we having a good time? Yeah. All right. All right. I'm going to go a little quick. Um, I'm calling mine, it takes two to tango, okay? So I'm going to read Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 and 12. But I want you guys to go home, please. Read chapter 31, Proverbs 31, 10 to 31. Please go home and read that, okay? So here, here's what it says in verse 10 to 12. It says, a wife of a noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. So, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to find a wife like that, right? Um, but this verse kind of sets the tone for the rest of the passage, emphasizing the value and worth of a virtuous woman. She is wise person that will not harm us or even abandon her responsibilities as a wife. This passage is commonly known as, uh, as the virtuous woman passage and is often used as a benchmark for how Christian women should conduct themselves. However, it is important to know that this passage is not just for women, but it's for all believers, for men and women. But let's look at the definition, the definition of a virtuous woman. It says the Hebrew word for virtuous is called kael, which means strong, capable, efficient, and worthy. It is important to note that this word Word not only is used to describe women, but also warriors, soldiers, and leaders. This suggests that the virtuous woman described in Proverbs 31, not only a homemaker or a stay-at-home mom, but also a strong and capable leader who contributes, right, to her community and society. It is essential to understand that the value of a virtuous woman is not based on her physical appearance, her material possessions, or social status, but on her character and actions. In addition to Proverbs 31, we also read that the husband and wife, right, they complement each other perfectly because they share a spiritual death. The wife influence is so powerful that her husband and family can't help but praise her. You can see, read that in verse 28. The husband is equally worthy of admiration. Her husband is known in the gates. If you read it, it will say, her husband is known in the gates where he sits among the elders of the land. He meets with the leaders to give advice and help people solve their problems. This, this implication is clear that he is what he is because she is what she is, okay? And there, I, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to be honest with you. I wouldn't be who I am unless I had a wife like what I have right now. She's amazing. There's an old saying, behind every good man, there's a good woman, right? I believe that. Furthermore, the virtuous woman is described as someone who fears the Lord. This is the foundation of her character and actions. Her fear of the Lord leads her to act with wisdom, compassion, and diligence. She seeks to honor God in all that she has and uses her gifts and talents to serve him and others. In conclusion, let us strive to be that kind of woman of noble character described in Proverbs 31, who fearlessly fears, faces the future and trusts in the Lord. She is praised for her wisdom, her compassion, and strength. For her, for her works, works are a testimony to her faith. 
May we follow the example and seek to honor God in all that we do, trusting in his grace and guidance. I love verse 30 where it says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Let us pray that we may cultivate this inner beauty such as kindness, wisdom, and integrity instead of what the world expects, which is the outer appearance. Men, this is for you guys. In Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He even agreed to die on its behalf. Jesus, as Christ loved the church so much that he gave himself for her. So husbands, we're called to love our wives in the same way that Christ loved us. Marriage should be built on love, mutual respect, and commitment. These values can be found in non-Christians, but the Bible emphasizes the importance of God's presence in your marriage to ensure stability and long-term success. The end goal of all of this in your marriage is that we will glorify God. That husbands would reflect more clearly on the love of Christ for his people. And that wives would joyfully submit to and respect their husbands. In any event, yeah, we know that marriages are not perfect. But by having God, my brother Carlos said, in the center, it will allow you to be able to acknowledge our weaknesses, our sins, and offer forgiveness to each other. Here's a question. I'm going to end. You want to be great in your marriage? Then invite the Holy Spirit to fill your lives, your homes, and your marriages. Paul says that once you're filled with the Spirit, then you're going to be the you're going to be under the influence of God. Now we can love and submit to one another. There's this book that I'm reading, and it said that the Holy Spirit is not just for Sundays. It's for every day. Here's a, a passage in, in Ephesians I'm going to read right now. Maybe some of you are asking me, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, we must change, right? And we must turn away from our sins. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Man, if you're under the influence of alcohol, then that is what controls you. Likewise, if you're filled with the Spirit, that is what controls you, right? But here's the thing. God is the only one that can bring change. Amen. God bless you guys. All right. Hey, can we give it up for our speakers this morning? Come on. It's good stuff, man. We're getting things from different angles. And, and, and a lot of times, you know, things aren't just one-sided or, or one-dimensional. Oftentimes, a lot of these things are held in, in tension with other realities and things to consider. So I love how we're just hitting the, the topic of relationships from so many different angles. And we can kind of put this all together and really be able to apply it to our lives. Um, so awesome job, man. This is good stuff. Uh, Luke 14, 27 says this, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Those are the words of Jesus. And maybe you're like, why does Mikey always like picking the most intense passages to preach on? I'm built like that. That's why. But let's pray. God, we thank you. For this day, God, we thank you for just all the, the, the speakers that we have and just the truth that we're able to, to just chew on and consider. And uh, we pray that we would just lean in into this moment, God, and allow your word to speak. Allow us to, to put our agendas to the side and, and just see what it is that you would have for us, Father. Use me. Help us. Be glorified in, in what we're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So um, I'm kind of like the, 
the rookie, I guess, in the marriage game. I've been married. It's going to be about four years now. This upcoming week, we're going to make four years. That's where you're supposed to clap because that's like the nice thing to do. Hey, I've been married for four years. We don't care, bro. We don't care. Yeah. We're your parents. No, just kidding. But um, before we got married, so that's where I'm going to kind of camp a little bit. I, I, I'm married now, but I'm going to talk a little bit from the perspective of the before you do, uh, because there was something that my wife and I learned in that before you do period that really changed our entire outlook on marriage and in many ways has changed our life. Um, when we were engaged, Pastor Trevor recommended that we go through premarital counseling. And we had never considered that, but we were like, you know what? This is going to be a piece of cake. We love each other. You know, we're going to do this. Yeah, sure. It's kind of arbitrary, but hey, we'll, we'll do what our pastor wants us to do. We'll, we'll be submissive and, and obedient to him. And so we're thinking this is going to be a breeze, super easy, whatever. And we take this assessment because there's like this assessment that it, it takes all the aspects of your personality. It asks you questions about what you think about different aspects. It, it goes pretty deep. Like it talks about stuff that you kind of don't talk about in everyday relationship talk. Like what do you think about this and what are your expectations for that aspect of marriage and whatever. And so we, we did it individually. And then at the end, it gives you like a momentum score based off your compatibility with one another. And so the way it works is there's like, you know, uh, high momentum, which is like solid. You guys are, are, are going to crush this. There's low momentum. And then there's mediocre momentum. We got mediocre momentum. So we're sitting there with Pastor Trevor. He's breaking this down. He's like, yeah, so your score is pretty average. And we're like looking at each other like, um, is that good or bad? And he's like, let's get to the first question. And we're like... Like, whoa, wait, 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 what's going on here? Like, what, are, are we going to be good here? Like, what's going on? And so off the bat, we're kind of like, oh, man, I thought this was like slam dunk. I thought this was going to be a breeze. But all right, whatever. Maybe it's just a score. Who cares? It's, it's AI, right? AI is not that important. Um, and we begin to kind of go through the process of this pre-counseling or, or premarital counseling process. And we begin to talk about things and expectations that, like I said, we don't talk about in everyday life, and it's causing us to really think deeply and be like, oh, wait, I didn't think about how this would work out, or I didn't know that's what you believe about that, or that's what you expect in this aspect of, of marriage or life or whatever, and it's going off pretty well for the most part, but then we hit this one day where everything completely changed. It was like halfway through the whole counseling session, and bro, we were like not on the same page for some stuff that we were like, no, 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 I feel this way about this. And she's like, yeah, but I feel this way about this. And we're like, do I know you at all? Like, what's, what's going on here? And by the way, if you're single, um, if you're married, you know this. Dating is just lying. You're just lying the entire time. You don't really know somebody until you're married to them for a few years and you wake up and you're like, who is this person that I married? I literally had no idea that this is who you were. So dating is lying. And so... Here we are, but we're kind of like, we're kind of like speeding up the process and we're having to, to give our opinions and thoughts on certain things. And we're like, oh, so you're like this. <laughs> like, I didn't know that. Like, whoa, like what's going on here? Are we compatible? Like, can we figure this thing out? And it was a really hard day where Pastor Trevor was just blunt and he was like, listen, you guys got to make the decision as to whether this is worth it for you or not. And then that was, you know, silent car ride, a bunch of tears, arguing, like, it was a tough day. It had finally dawned on us that there's a possibility that we're not compatible for each other and that it wouldn't be the wisest thing for us to get married. Like we had to actually consider and be honest with what we were getting into and what we were committing to. It was a tough, 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 tough time. And here's the thing. Like we thought marriage was going to be like Disney. You fall in love, it's rainbows and butterflies, everything is great. Because here's the biggest flaw. What we tend to do is we tend to project onto other people what we want them to be. Right? Like, we don't allow people to self-define and let us know who they are, their character, their wants, their needs, and desires. And we end up making them into a version that they're not. And so some of the wisest advice that Pastor Trevor gave us was do not marry somebody on potential value. Marry them as is value. If they never changed a single day after this, can you live with that? We cannot project onto other people. 
If you're married, you understand that there are things about your, spi your spouse that drive you nuts and you're never going to be able to change that. You're never going to be able to change that. So here we are before we're getting married and we're having to consider, are we going to do this? And because here's the thing, you need to have non-negotiables. Again, people don't talk about this when you're dating. They don't talk about this, you know, when, you're, when you get engaged. We need to have non-negotiables, things that are, that are, that are no, I, I need this in a spouse. And so for us, we were on the same page about our faith. That was a non-negotiable for both of us. We, we wanted to spend the rest of our life with a Christian, with someone who believes in Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, believes in the word of God. So we were, we were good there. But it was, what it was is these other arbitrary things that we wanted to have our way in where we had to really figure out and the light bulb clicked, wait a second, marriage is not Disney. It's not the movies. Marriage is hard work. It's sacrificial. It's having to put the other in front of you like Los was saying. It's having to make a decision to love that person because a feeling is fleeting. Feelings come and go. But to make a decision to love somebody every day is intentional, it's difficult, and it takes almost everything. No, it takes everything you have to do that. And you have to determine whether that person is worth that. Even in the things that you cannot stand or just do not understand, can't wrap your head around why they think or act that way about a certain thing. And so after a lot of prayer and thinking, we came to the conclusion that each other was worth it. That our, our non-negotiables were on the same page and all of these other stuff, we'll deal with it. Honey, sometimes I don't put the toilet seat down and you're just going to have to deal with it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I know it bugs you. I know you hate it. But you know what I'm saying? Like, there is some things about your partner that you're not going to like. But at the end of the day, we decided that we were worth it. And dude, four years later, happily married. My wife is my best friend. We have a beautiful daughter. Like, I, I cannot be here. Yeah. We're not going anywhere like because we understand the commitment that we've made to each other. It's a decision. It's not a feeling. It's not, oh, I think you're hot and, and we have this amazing thing. And no, 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 it's a decision. It's not a feeling. It's a decision to stick by the other person no matter what. We counted the cost of this marriage. We understood what it would require from us. And we have been building our marriage on the foundation of Jesus ever since. And that has sustained us and glorified us. And we are the, the married couple that we are because of prioritizing and setting our foundation on Jesus. And so the principle that I'm talking about here, it reminds me of Luke 14. Because Luke 14, it's not about marriage. Luke 14 is about salvation. It's about uh, being a, a follower of Jesus. It's becoming a Christian. But I think the principle that is taught here is super applicable to marriage. So let's, kinda, let's get back into that. Luke 14, 27. It says this, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Let's stop right there. So Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to follow me, if you want to become a Christian, you got to count the cost. And so if you want to marry somebody, if you want to commit your life to somebody, you got to count the cost. It's like a builder who desires, right, he, he loves the idea of building this tower. It's like, oh, man, this is going to be great. I, this, I, I can see it in my head. It's going to be amazing. He, he's feeling great about this tower, but he hasn't had the honest evaluation to see if he even has enough to complete it. Because you can like something in theory. You can like the idea of something, but you got to do the honest work of saying, am I capable? Is this what I want? Do I know what it's going to cost? And then as we continue reading, it says, otherwise, if you don't do this, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So this guy starts building this tower because he's convinced. He's like, no, my passion and my desire for this thing is enough and I'm going to do it and I'm going to make it and it's going to be this amazing thing. But he can't finish. He quits because he didn't have enough. He didn't, he didn't have what it took. He didn't, he didn't count the cost of what it would require. And he comes to a point where he's like, yeah, no, I, I can't do this. This is too hard. And he quits. 
And it says that people mocked him. And yeah, that kind of sucks. But in marriage, if you quit, if you, if you can't finish, you end up hurting each other. If there's kids, you end up damaging your kids. You end up hurting families. And ultimately, you hurt the heart of God. Because to, to God, marriage is this lasting union. It's this commitment to each other in the same way that we commit ourselves to Christ. It's supposed to be long-lasting, not just a six-month trial. It's a decision to say, I am giving up everything that I am, and I am going to, to be, I am going to commit to this person in the good things and in the bad things, in the things that I understand and the things in that I don't understand. I am going to commit and I'm not going to self-project. I'm not going to project onto that person. I'm going to allow them to be who they are, and I will make the decision whether that is what I want to be with or not. And I know that that sounds kind of harsh, but guys, this is a reality. If you are single, if you're engaged, it is a must for you to go through premarital counseling. Because maybe there are some serious red flags, some non-negotiables, some sin issues that you cannot or are, are not willing to deal with. And you have that right before you're married to make that decision. And again, these things don't happen or are talked about in regular conversation. You need to know what you're getting yourself into. Or maybe there's some things that you thought you were on the same page on, as you're, but you're not. But you realize, okay, wait, this is work. But you know what? I'm willing to do this work for that person. Regardless... I highly recommend premarital counseling for anybody. You need to experience that honest work of counting the cost and having to say, okay, this is not perfect, but it's worth it, and I'm going to commit to this. And again, Luke 14, it's about salvation. And what we do every week at Renew Church is we don't want to let a Sunday go by without allowing people to make a decision to come to Jesus. These are, these are the words of Jesus. When I read Luke 14, that's not Mikey. That's not uh, uh, anybody. That is the words of Jesus. He's speaking to a crowd who loves the idea of Jesus. They, they, they love like, oh, he's this healer and he's, you know, God and, and he's doing these really cool things and he's making fun of the Pharisees and like, man, this guy, like, I love the idea of Jesus. He just sounds so awesome. That's what's happening. There's this crowd, and he addresses them, and he's saying, okay, cool. That, that's, that's kind of a good step, but you need to hear this. Jesus is saying this. Uh, so whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This isn't Mikey Bermuda saying this. This is Jesus saying, if you are not willing to bear your own cross, you cannot be my disciple. You have not counted the cost. And what this meant back in the day to carry your cross Literally meant to carry the device that was going to kill you, that was going to end your life. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to call yourself a Christian, I am asking for everything, all of you, 100%, because that is the cost. You got to give me all of it. You got to give me everything. You have to be willing to die to your flesh. You have to be willing to die to your old ways so that Jesus can live in you. There can't be two, there can't be two tenants inside of you. There can only be one, and it's either you or it's Jesus. And Jesus is saying you have to evict the flesh. I need to fill that space. I need to be the Lord of your life. You need to count the cost. This is not easy. Following Jesus is not a fairy tale. It's not a Disney movie. It's going to cost you your life. You might have to give up some things that are near and dear, but that is the cost, but it's worth it. Because the fruit of that is salvation. You are saved. You are a child of God. And you get the spirit of the living God living inside of you. Are you hearing me? And here's the problem. A lot of like, I love our Hope Center guys. And if you're not familiar with Hope Center, it's this ministry that we partner with. It's a 12-month uh, like rehab program for guys that are uh, addicted to drugs, alcohol, whatever. But I love these guys because they get it. When they understand that they're sinners and need to be forgiven... And then there's a God who died for their sin and is willing to forgive them and make them brand new. They are like, yo, yes, I give me that. I know I'm a sinner. And for us, we look at them and we're like, oh, you know, we're, we're not that bad. We're not as bad as those guys. But here's the thing. Our sin is as equal as theirs is. There is no difference. There is absolutely no difference. 
And so the gospel should challenge you. The gospel should be kind of offensive because the gospel says our sin put Jesus on the cross. Jesus died the death that we deserved. That, and again, this isn't Mikey Bermudez. This is the words of Christ. This is the guy that we're praying to and we're praising. This is what he says. And for the Hope Center guys that know, they don't need to be convinced that they need forgiveness. It is the best news in the world. But to the proud, it's the worst thing in the world. Because you have to come to that conclusion that you are the problem. We are the problem. And the only way that the healing, the forgiveness, the grace, the meaning, the purpose, the fruitfulness of our lives can ever happen is when we submit it, walk away from it, and say, Jesus, I'm walking towards you. I'm leaving everything behind, and I'm going after you. Your word is true. I'm not going to project onto you. I'm not going to make you into the image that I want you to be, but I'm going to allow you to self-define through your word, and I'm going to eat it, and I'm going to submit to it because that's who you are, and I'm making this decision to be with you. Not you being with me. I am going to be with you. Are you hearing me? And so if you're in this spot with all heads closed and, and heads bowed, if, if you're hearing me and you're saying, dude, yes, I need that forgiveness. I know that I'm the problem. I, I need Jesus to help me, to forgive me, to change me. Mikey, I need it. There are so many things in my life that aren't working out, and I need Jesus to take control. If that's you, you are in the best spot that you can ever be in in your entire life. Because change, revival, newness is about to happen right now if you would just say yes to the gospel. And so with all heads bowed and eyes closed, if you are willing to say, Jesus, I am turning to you. Forgive me my sins, Lord. I am the problem. I want to accept your grace. I want to walk with you. I am leaving everything behind and doing whatever you want me to do. If that is you, would you just lift your hand so that I can see you and so that I can pray for you. Amen. I see you. Amen. 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 And if we can all just pray together as a family, and it's not the words that save you, it's the heart. And it goes like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me. I know that I'm a sinner. And I need your forgiveness. Please come into my life. Make me brand new and help me to kill my flesh. Help me to allow you to drive my life. Help me to allow you to humble me and to do what you want to do. I won't self-project. You are who you are. And I love you for it. Help me to stay on this path. Help me to, to stay committed to you and to your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Faithful.
Amen, amen. Well, I feel like a charismatic preacher because I'm over time and I'm sweating like a pig up here. But thank you guys for joining us, man. I just have a few announcements, some important things, man. Hey, Pastor Trevor talked about this earlier in the video. Easter is coming up. Who's excited for Easter, man? Come on. Easter is coming up, man. That is the day of the year where people who don't go to church go to church. Let's capitalize on that. Let's leverage that. So take this card. It's a five for five. Fill it out with five people that you want to see come to church and come to the to faith in Jesus. Write their names down and, and drop it off in a box below because we want to join you in prayer. We want to pray with you. We want to pray for these people by name with you and, and, and allow God to do what he does and bring these people to church. And, and, and man, by the grace of God, may they be saved and, and become a part of the family of faith also man take this easter invite card take it share it send a picture of it let people know easter is happening here at renew church it's going to be an unbelievable time and also immediately after this is growth track it's in the building over here it's called our connections room and if you're newer to renew church uh man i highly encourage you to check that out if, if you want to know a little bit more about us kind of see a little bit behind the scenes get behind the curtain go to, to growth track it'll be worth your time i promise you it won't be um anything weird or boring it's it's actually really cool you get to find out some stuff and we get to know you a little bit better so head out to growth track and lastly if you'd like to give to renew church just want to let you know there's a few ways that you can do that in person via the envelopes in the seat pocket in front of you drop it off in a bucket on your way out second way to do that is to do it online by visiting renew.miami forward slash giving and the third and final way to do it is to do it via text by texting give 786-565-1165 would you pray with me lord we thank you we love you God, we pray that you would use this offering to continue to build your kingdom, bring people on in, change people's life, God, and bless these, your children, as they worship you and as they love you in this way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See you guys next week.